We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. You think football is still fun? Uh, yes. Sir. Yes, no. No? Sir, sir uh, it was fun. Not anymore, though, is it? Is it? No, not by No, it's not fun anymore. Not even a little bit. Just look at that. He hit the fucking ball. That gets a free steak. <laughs> you having fun yet? Oh, yeah. I'm having a blast. Thanks. Good. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast, where we are talking sports movies, sports TV, and movies and pop culture every single Monday. Brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. This show is also brought to you by the Big Screen Sports Patreon group, and especially our producer-level patrons. Shout out Aaron Figueroa, Mike Schubert, Steve Rogers, Kevin Frost, Mike D., Ryan Yeager, Mike Dries, James Kolowski, Chris Mykoski, and a special shout out to our newest producer patron, Andrew Teagle. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash big screen sports, you can get a say in what this show covers. Uh, any of our tiers come with voting privileges. Our Bull Durham level patrons get to nominate movies to be covered and they get a sticker. Everyone loves the sticker. And our big chill level patrons are the producers that you just heard. Uh, big thanks to all our Patreon subscribers that are the straw that stirs this drink of big screen sports. Keep us coming to you every single Monday. But if you're just enjoying the show and want a great way to support free of charge, just subscribe, tell a friend, and write a nice review on Apple Podcast or rate on Spotify. You can rate on Spotify now. So if you're a Spotify listener, go and tap five stars. That would be that would be great. Uh, today's episode, returning guest Jeff and Emmett Perlman. Jeff is a New York Times bestselling author. A while ago, Jeff hit me up about a Gary Coleman made-for-TV baseball movie, The Kid from Left Field. This movie is free to watch on YouTube. Uh, not not like through YouTube, but someone posted it up there, and it is free. I don't think anyone's uh, anyone's checking on this. Apparently, there's a, a big run of Gary Coleman movies just free to watch on YouTube. I was... I I was not privy to the the Gary Coleman experience as I am only thirty and it is it's actually stunning what a good child actor he was. Um, I don't have the nostalgia for this movie that Jeff does, but it is an unintentional comedy Hall of Fame watch if you've got ninety minutes, especially if you got kids. I watch most of it with my eight year old, uh, so we're checking out. Let's dive right into it. The kid from left field with Jeff and Emmett Perlman. All right, returning to big screen sports. One is the New York Times bestselling author of nine books, host of Two Writers Slinging Yang, and the other is the youngest person to ever appear on this podcast. It is Jeff and Emmett Perlman. Guys, welcome back to Big Screen Sports. Good to be here. Honored to be here. I'm I'm so thrilled. It's been it's been a while. Uh, Jeff, Two Writers is a must listen for me every week. Tell the folks about your show. Uh, it's just a podcast I do every week where I have a different writer on and we break down the business and devices and techniques and experiences and it's just a lark. I don't make money off of it, just for my own pleasure and enjoyment. It's the un- that was the undersell of the century. Uh, it, Two writers is a it's it's great. You're a great interviewer. It's very entertaining, even if you if you don't write or have never written. It's just very interesting look at the the business of writing. Um, and you've talked to people who wrote books, people who you know have been on the beat. Um, people who've written for the Washington Post, people who covered the insurrection. We're actually recording this uh, happy happy one year insurrection, everybody. Cool. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Everyone go check that out. But, um, Jeff and Emmett, you guys have been on the show multiple times and a while back, Jeff told me about 
a movie that you guys had watched, a made-for-TV movie that its entirety is on YouTube. So if you're listening to the show and you haven't seen The Kid from Left Field, uh, it's available on YouTube. I That's probably something that no one holds the rights to anymore. Um, you said, you know, it's a Gary Coleman made for TV movie. We got to see it. You, you know, we got, we got to cover it on the show today. We're talking about the kid from left field, the 1979 made for TV baseball movie. Jackie Robinson, J.R. Cooper is a kid who loves baseball and also the son of a former major leaguer now down on his luck and a vendor working at the stands at games It starred famous child actor, Gary Coleman and Robert Guillaume. Uh, it's a remake of film of the same name from 1953 is essentially an avenue for NBC to grow Gary Coleman's stardom. I had never heard of this movie uh, when you guys when you guys reached out, and I was like, okay, yeah, let's let's do it. We got this on the schedule. But Jeff, in doing my research for this movie, I went to the Wikipedia. Um, I I didn't realize how much this movie meant to you. Uh, I'm you know I I you wrote a piece for Sports Illustrated right after Gary Coleman passed in 2010. Um, you had you have a great lead. It's about you know his widow selling the final photograph, his final photograph on his death, but very gruesome to a tabloid. Um, it, it just a bad way for everyone to remember Gary Coleman. And you you follow that lead with, uh, you, you know you say that th- this is how you know people are expected to remember Gary Coleman essentially, you know, off this photo. And you say, I for one refuse to let this happen. I for one loved Gary Coleman's work. I know, I know a punchline inevitably awaits. Surely there's a catch, a gag, a journalist to trick up my sleeve. Nope, not today. Back in 1979, when I was a gangly seven-year-old at Mayo Pack, New York, my favorite film wasn't Alien or Manhattan or even the Muppet movie. No, it was a lightly regarded made-for-TV remake titled The Kid from Left Field, starring Robert Guillaume as San Diego Padres vendor and Gary Coleman as his son, Jackie Robinson Cooper. Hell yeah. Jeff, what about this movie from 1979 made you write a piece in Sports Illustrated about it and has us on the show today? Okay. It's very interesting. I was thinking about this. So Emmett is 15. You're 30. And I'm 49. So we actually have these gaps between us that are, you know, fairly the same amount of years. When I was a kid, I hate sounding old, but now I officially do. When I was a kid, Gary Coleman was this thing. It's hard to explain. He was just this thing. In the same way, maybe Miley Cyrus was a thing for a while or Zac Efron, you know, high school musical. Like Coleman was a thing. And you didn't have a million channels to watch. And Gary Coleman was a huge star in Different Strokes, his TV show back then. And he started doing these made-for-TV movies. And I just remember it'd be like Saturday night, maybe my parents had a babysitter watching my brother and I, and it'd be like, uh, tonight on NBC, Gary Coleman, Robert Guillaume in The Kid from Left Field. And there were like five or six of these movies, all of which Emmett has seen, by the way, because we did a Gary Coleman movie marathon last summer and during the pandemic. And it just was there, there was something about Coleman that was really charismatic, that really drew you in, um, and people were just into it. And this movie in particular combined my love of Gary Coleman with my love of sports. And when you're that young and that dumb, I was seven years old, you don't see all the flaws that I see in it today. Like every, every single scene, there's a flaw. You just see it and think, oh, this is awesome. And I just thought it was awesome and loved it. It's really interesting to see because I've seen old, you know, reruns of different strokes. I haven't binged it or anything, but familiar with Gary Coleman. Um, it's interesting to see him in this light because I guess when I was Emmett's age, so 15 years ago, which makes me want to puke in my mouth, um, Gary Coleman was he was he wasn't really doing anything besides trashy VH1 reality shows. Like my generation essentially knew him as how he was this child actor from way back when, who's now, you know, somewhat famous, but we don't really know why. Um, So we, we never saw my generation never saw Gary Coleman as prime. And then, you know, he passes away in, in 2010 before any sort of, you know, redemption moment or anything like that. Really. Emmett, were you before your dad, said let's watch these movies were you familiar with gary coleman at all i feel like i knew the name but probably just because of my dad before the movies i i think i knew he was an actor and i knew he was in different strokes and we actually watched an episode it was it was fun um (laughs) and then and then he was like let's watch these made for tv movies and we found them all on youtube and then it, it just worked out 
It's interesting because at this point he's, I don't want to say he's just a meme, but like the, what you talking about Willis thing is kind of endured. Like that's, that's yeah. something that you say that I would say majority of the population would know what you're talking about. But this is a really interesting callback to one, an era where they're making these made for TV movies. It's something that kind of stopped right around 2000. It seems like, cause that's when they started, if they were going to do one of these, then suddenly it's like an HBO mini series or something a little more prestige. There's not really like the made for TV made for TV movies now or Hallmark channel movies. So it's kind of, kind of a different thing. They don't do sports movies like this, where in the nineties you had like the tiger Woods story and the, you know, the, uh, Joe Torrey story, which I sent you the cover for Jeff. So it's kind of, it's kind of a callback to an interesting time, both in, in that, you know, someone could cobble together a little, a network could cobble together a little bit of money and put together kind of a cheap baseball movie and throw it out on Saturday and everyone would see it. And also a callback to this time where Gary Coleman is excellent. Like as a child actor, he's 11 years old when they film this, he's great. He's, he's easily the best part of this movie. And that's not like, it's not just cause he's cute. Like he's sharp. He's funny. He's got comedic timing. It's the stuff that made different strokes. Good. Jeff, I kick it to you. I mean, the nostalgia I'm sure is going to play into this, but is this a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer sports movie? No, it's a bench warmer sports movie, but it's a, <laughs> it's a Hall of Fame Gary Coleman movie and a bench warmer sports movie. So Emmett, I kick to you. What is this for you? And like, as someone who's watching this without the tie to Gary Coleman, you know, you, you're for, when you first watched it, what was the enjoyment level? I think given the context that, I'm sitting here watching a bad made for TV movie. I, I love it. So I, it's like all-star is a little too much considering the quality, but like just a little below all-star. Wow. So, I mean, it is a bench warmer sports movie for what it is, but I have, I have given movies this distinction before potentially in unintentional comedy hall of famer. Absolutely. There's a lot of e- extreme unintentional comedy, especially this one really goes off the rails in the second half of the movie. I think like from the second he's named the manager, of the Padres, it's like, I feel like they just forgot to do a lot. And then they had to film the last half, last 45 minutes of the movie. And like, okay guys, we got a day and a half. Let's do this. And that's, that's what it seems like to me. It does seem like, the actual purpose of the movie, it seems like they just completely lost lost the assignment for like the back half of the movie. Now, I just want to say Emmett does not. No one in my house really enjoys watching sports movies with me in the, when I'm <laughs> when I'm taking him seriously. And like I just thought it was really fun. And we did talk about this a lot. OK, first of all, it's the Padres. And this guy, Larry Cooper, Gary Coleman's dad, played for the Padres in 1966 in the majors. But the Padres didn't exist in the majors in 1966. Then they have. They go to play at Wrigley, but clearly they couldn't use Wrigley. So they have a stadium where they just drape a few vines over an outfield <laughs> wall. And that's supposed to be Wrigley. Like the level of, I know they were million. like the laziness of the sports telling is an all-time level. Like it has to be an all-time level for just like, eh, not a big deal. The manager gets fired and he takes over. The best team in baseball. Mid-season. Mid-season. I can get another job at the best on the best team in baseball and guide them to the World Series. Eh, what's the problem? There's a, so much of that. I mean, the, the problem with this movie, at least the bummer, there's no trivia for it. On IMDb, there's no trivia. No one has done a deep dive of it. You know, no one has, has gone back, done the oral history of the kid from left field. You know, hint, hint. Uh, if any, you know, if anyone on this podcast is, is a writer would have those chops, you know, I, I would read it. Um, you to pay me to write it. You know, so that, that's, yeah, I, I think you should, I think you should, um, you know, it's, and it, it is a good father son movie. Like you, you have two, two good leads and that gets you general brownie points, I guess. Like they're, they're legitimately solid scenes between, um, Coleman and Guillaume. It just, they're kind of few and far between in between just like this lampoon of baseball and stuff like that. But it, like, I, I, I gotta say, I did not hate it. I, I, I went in with the lowest of expectations, but I was like, this is, this is not bad. Like I, I watched the first half with my son before he went to bed and like he, he didn't leave the couch. So I'll call that a win. Hey, when you say we were the same, cause this is our second time watching it. Yeah. I mean, when it's like, we were the same? it's, it's very engaging and it's like, 
I feel like it's like if you come into this movie expecting like a like a a good baseball movie, you're gonna be disappointed. But if you come into this movie looking for a heartwarming father son movie featuring Gary Coleman, then it's perfect. You know, it's like it's all about the expectations that you're looking for. Yeah, that's how I I tell people to like watch something like Bloodsport. If you think Bloodsport is going to like if you're expecting Bloodsport to be like an Oscar winner for you, you're not you're going to be disappointed. If you're expecting to watch John Claude Van Damme compete in an underground karate tournament in Japan for two hours and it just be ridiculous, you're going to have a great time. So this movie, The Kid from Left Field, just like Bloodsport, we've we've gotten to a good place with this already. Um I want to let's roll into best scene. I'm going to go through these chronologically. I'm only a one time watcher, so I might miss one of your favorites. If I do, by all means, stop me. Um, the first one is the, they go is when when Coleman, when when Jr. and Larry and, and Coop go grocery shopping and doing homework just because it kind of as far as like actual good filmmaking and actual good dialogue and stuff, it might be the best scene in the movie just in like they have good chemistry them together is the best part of this movie. Um, I was also thrilled to find out that that Robert Guillaume is Rafiki in The Lion King, which is very, very, very important movie. But um, Jeff, as a dad, what did you think about the the father-son dynamic in this one? Well, first of all, I, I have to say, and I, I again, this is probably your guys' youth, like Robert Guillaume was a big deal. Robert Guillaume was Benson, and Benson was an enormous show when I was a kid. So, and actually, as Emmett knows as well, Robert Guillaume and Gary Coleman teamed up for not one, but two movies, he also did the kid with the broken halo when he played a similar role. And uh, he, Robert Guillaume was a legit actor, like legit, legit in his day and um, whatever. Um, yeah. I thought the scenes between the two of them were really good. I think they were two solid. Guillaume was a great actor, but like really good actors. I, I also think it helps when you know that the thing you're doing is kind of ridiculous. You know, like it's always better when actors are in on the joke. I actually think it helps their performance. I don't think either guy was taking this overly seriously. I'm sure they, they filmed this thing in five days on a lot in California. I'm like, you could tell it wasn't, it was good. It was nice. They had, they had a nice little flow there. I think. I feel like there's one person in this movie who's taking it really seriously. And I, I want to get into that. Yeah. Someone who's someone who's kind of in a different movie. Um, Emmett, what did you think of the scene where Jr. rolls into the, the owner's office just, just randomly? Cause that's a thing that, that 11 year old kids can do and ends up getting introduced to the manager. I'm a big fan because I think it, it really shows you immediately who Jackie Robinson Cooper is. <laughs> it shows you like, I mean, it sets him up to be the manager of the Padres, which is ridiculous that the actual manager walks in and then he's being replaced by an 11 year old. Well, is he 10 in the movie? He's 11. He 11. I think he's 11. he's 11. Yeah. He makes a point about being 11. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that he, tells the owner to get his dad's job back, which I don't think is the owner's responsibility. So there's really no aspect of that scene that works, but it's still fairly charming. I also like that his dad is is someone who has struggled with alcohol abuse. Like they're, they're worried about his drinking and he's like, my dad really needs that job to sell beer though. Cause like, that's, that's a thing. We definitely want our alcoholics selling beer. Wait, can I, can I just add here the whole alcohol thing? Is a big mystery in this movie because it's not present. No, like it has no effect. But he's he's drinking throughout, like throughout the movie he's drinking. And at one point, he's in the bar and he's about to drink hard alcohol. And he says to the bartender, "You know what?" And then you think he's going to say, "Give me a coke," but he says, "I'll take a beer." So like, <laughs> what? Like, are you an alcoholic or not? It's like switching to diet coke exactly. if you uh, if you go from the beer. Yeah, I mean, with that scene, it's just like. Wow, Gary Coleman is incredibly charismatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, unfortunately, that's the thing that, like, I, I did, I, I think it was in your piece a little bit, Jeff, and I just, I kind of looked into, like, I read his Wikipedia page and stuff, and it was, it was just, no, like, basically, he get, just got worked to shit as a little kid. Like, he was good, like, that he was, he could memorize his lines after one reading and stuff like that, and he had this natural charisma, and, I mean, he got... It was like he was a young starting pitcher and Buck Showalter was his manager. Like he was out there throwing 180 pitches for, you know, the first 10 years of his acting career. And it kind of, I think, burned the guy out. He's a tragic figure. Eric Holman is factually a tragic figure. And like, I'll, I'll tell you a crazy story that relates to him. Embarrassing story. I was once on a flight 
and I was sitting next to a person and she was Janine Garofalo's manager. Do you remember that? Do you know who Janine Garofalo? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Janine Garofalo. And she was flying with her. Janine Garofalo was in first class and this one was in coach. And at one point, Janine Garofalo came back. This is like probably 20 years ago. And somehow or another, I made a Gary Coleman joke. And she goes, Janine Garofalo goes to me, why is that funny? Right? I felt, I was going to say, I felt two inches tall. <laughs> and I just like, it's actually not funny. She was actually right. Like that guy's life was just tragic. And he was like basically used and used and used by his parents. He had all these health issues. He couldn't grow. Um, it's great being the cute kid, but you're only the cute kid for so long. Like you look at Emmett right now. Emmett used to be the cute kid. Now look at him. You know, like he keeps doing that adorable smile, but it doesn't work anymore. You know, he's just. He's a, he's a teenager. It's just a tough place to be. But yeah, I mean, whole thing. what made Gary Coleman so compelling is then what harmed him later in life is that there there's no role for that guy oh. once he's in his 20s because of those because of those difficulties he had he just was a the little cute guy that was it and later on in different strokes in the last seasons they tried giving him like a girlfriend and it was just ridiculous and he, it was stupid and it just it was really a sad downfall all the way around yeah yeah but in this one he's he's firing all cylinders yeah. i mean it's it's sad to say but like we're we're watching gary coleman's prime in this one he's really really good um, the next scene I've got is when, <laughs> when he gives hitting advice. Um, but basically just like telling the guy, you take the first pitch too much. Like you're, you're, you're too selective at the plate, which now is like taking walks and waiting for your pitch an important thing to do. And then he, and then he gets a knock. And also at the same time that he's giving this, this hitting advice after he's in the dugout with these guys, the social services worker who cares more about this this particular case than any social services worker ever is at a baseball game spying on them, which is a really Jeff. Have you ever heard of a social services worker spending this much time just discreetly following around one case? You know, my mom was a social services worker, and I married to a social worker. And, oh, we uh, should have gotten your mom on the podcast. Yeah, no kidding. And she, I, I'm pretty sure she never stalked anyone out like this. Um, Especially an 11 year old boy. What about, wait, what about she shows up at the apartment? The dad's not home. She basically lets herself in, is snooping around, opens up the fridge, and determines without ever talking to the dad that I need to remove this kid from the house. Yeah. Also, 79, this was before Stranger Danger was a thing, right? Because, right. like, Gary Coleman just like, yeah, come on in to come on into my apartment. Never tells his dad. Never I, tells I, his dad I, the woman came. We were blown away by that, right, Emmett? Yeah, she doesn't he doesn't ever tell him. And then he just gets a letter saying you need to go to court because we're taking your son. And he's just shocked. He has he has no idea why. See, me and Emmett's generation, we would have we would have naturally just stayed far away from her. We were told not to not to talk to strangers or anything like that. But Gary Coleman is just, you know, hey, come on in, lady. Explore our, our fridge with like one th with one thing of tuna in it. Apparently tough look for uh for Coop there with a social services worker. Um, this, this next scene is when the, the manager freaks out and uh, an adult yelling at a child, like Emmett, you are by, by letter of the law, you were still a child. Have, have you ever been yelled at by an adult that was not your, not your parents? Um, I feel like not to the, to the harsh degree that Gary Coleman went through. No one's ever read one of your dad's books and like come in, come and got it in your out face and, and said your said your dad's a bum like like this manager does to a year old me. Gary Coleman. Yeah, that's I'm him. That what are you guy. talking about? I'm the one catching that. <laughs> that one uh, when when we get Sloan punching the manager in the face, like it just escalates so quickly, and that he's just like. I'm going to talk a gang of shit to this 11-year-old, and then my my star player is going to come and punch me in the face. And it's, I mean, and, and Gary Coleman's been, at that point, JR has been managing this team, or not even managing, he's just been coaching with them for like a week, and suddenly this this manager's wildly, wildly insecure. Jeff, it was like, it was like what, one road trip I think it was before this happened? Trip. Also, um, not for nothing. You're just going to let your 10 year old, 11 year old kid go on a road trip with a major league baseball team with actually no chaperone. And the thing I think you just overlooked that is very important. So the whole thing with Gary Coleman tells this guy, you know, swing at the first pitch, like, and all of a sudden he's a good hitter. Like a major league hitter is not going to figure out that I'm not swinging at the first two pitches, but an 11 year old kid is going to explain that to me. And all of a sudden I'm going to be Ty Cobb. Yeah. It's the, I mean, the whole team, it's like he, 
these I mean, and that's that's one of the things with this whole movie is like the few bits of advice we see him give are not not groundbreaking pieces of advice. Not he's enough. not really they're like he's a he's an eleven year old baseball genius. Like he he's not though. He he's not. He's fine. And I mean, and it's it's all coming from his kid, his dad too. They keep doing this thing where they're like he'll say someone will say some baseball fact, and then Gary Coleman will go, "Oh, well, actually, it was this." Like very clearly trying to show oh, yeah. his baseball knowledge, and they did it like three or three to two times throughout the movie. Yeah, it's okay. like I don't really know what that has to do with his managing ability, but. I guess he knows baseball. This this movie needed desperately. Like I remember when For Love of the Game came out and um, the Royals had an outfielder named Scott Pose. And Scott Pose was hired as a technical advisor for Love of the Game. And I remember when like 42 came along and they hired, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but they hired the guy, the minor league ball player to advise him. This movie clearly, clearly had no technical advisor, no Nobody on set who they could say, wait, would a ball player say this? Wait, would this be advice you would give? Because anyone would be like the advice of swing at more pitches. You're not swinging at pitches. Is this a little bit basic? I mean, that's where trouble with the curve falls flat, too. And this is a, a TV movie starring Gary Coleman and trouble with the curve was a fully financed Hollywood project starring Clint Eastwood and then future Oscar winner Amy Adams. Like it's. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's where all sports movies fall flat is if they don't have someone at least around who knows the sport whatsoever, there's going to be a million plot holes like that. Whereas, like, that's why Trouble with the Curve is the worst baseball movie of all time. Like, I would rather watch this than Trouble with the Curve. And, yeah, th- but this one, this one, too, you don't fault this one as much for, for getting the baseball really wrong, but it gets the baseball wrong in almost every every single facet. But so there's this this blow up where the manager gets fired. They name... They named JR the manager of the Padres. And it's like, okay, we've gotten, it's taken a little while. It's taken longer than we thought, but we've gotten to the point that now, you know, we've got our plot. This kid is the manager of the Padres. Let's have a bunch of really quick montages where they win the NL West and then they're, they win the pennant. Like we really get none of him managing, like managing the team. So I'm kind of, Emmett, when you watched it for the first time, were you, were you a little dumbstruck as to, Hey, why didn't why didn't why did they skip all of this? It seems like they literally forgot to film the movie. They skip so much baseball. They show like five minutes of the World Series. They just say we're up three, and then now we're we're tied, and okay, it's the final inning. Like there, there's no in between. There's just it's just time skipping till the important parts where he tells someone baseball advice or just like life advice like just get glasses it's it's not a baseball movie i mean it's it's related to baseball but the the baseball is not the focus of the movie jeff even at seven years old did you feel any disappointment of like we don't see we had i really we see him manage the padres for i think 45 seconds in this movie um i would say seven i would just love the movie but i do think (laughs) i would actually say in a way the the uh sibling movie to this is little big league which you know, I'm sure you have you done already on this. Yes. Little Big League. I love Little Big League's great. And that movie had what this movie really needed, which is Gary Coleman in the dugout. It's a tight game. He, you know, calls for the suicide squeeze. The guy blows it. He's caught in a rundown. They're in trouble. Coleman, extra innings, this sort of thing. Like there's none. There's nothing that says this guy's actually a good manager. And and I just think it would have been it's 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 actually weird that they reached a point in the movie and they were just like, Oh wait, what do we wait? We only have 20 minutes left. What do we do? And just kind of winged it. And it's, but the thing is, it's like, it's the point in the movie that they, they were building towards. Like it was a very intentional point in the movie, like our main plot. And then they skipped it. They skipped what you're tuning. You're tuning into this movie at, you know, seven o'clock on Saturday night to watch Gary Coleman manage the Padres. And then we just, don't see it it's kind of it's kind of bizarre it's i mean you're right like little big league i had that in my notes later little big league gets that right perfectly i mean that movie still holds up little big league is great i will talk about little big league i'm gonna do multiple episodes on little big league before this podcast is over i had the i had the star actually i had the child actor who's now that be grown man yeah luke edwards there you go yeah had him had him on the show very very nice fellow um 
the next scene I've got is this is the one where I was like, this is unintentional comedy hall of fame. And that is when eventually when Larry Cooper is, when they come up with the idea to give Larry Cooper, the manager job, because so Jr. has been sent to this, <laughs> this foster house. He's, he's managing the Padres in the world series, but he gets sent to a foster house. Like nothing can, nothing can be done. Um, and then it goes like they're in the owner's office. We've lost three straight. Pete shows up out of nowhere and says, you know what? Larry Cooper has been calling our plays, which like a manager doesn't call plays. So already we're in the unintentional comedy hall of fame. And then we get to the line where Pete says, Larry Cooper is the only chance we've got, which is the manager, which is, which is bonkers. So that, that for me, arguably the worst scene in this movie, but easily, I I'm easily my favorite scene in this movie. Yeah. I, I, I actually think it's like a solid ending to have Larry Cooper be the manager just the time constraint makes it a little goofy. And the fact that they couldn't do it earlier because he would be embarrassed is, yeah. is ridiculous. They're just doing that for plot convenience. Like there's no reason that Larry Cooper couldn't just be manager from the start of the movie. He, he's just like, no one will take me seriously. There's no reason that would happen. Jeff, do you feel like this movie works better if Larry Cooper had been like banned from the ballpark or something? And that's and that's the the big thing. And and we don't have a plot where his son is taken to foster care during the World Series. I think the movie really would have been good if they made it from halfway in. Like, I actually think you fast forward through why this kid is the manager of the Padres and you make him the manager of the Padres, as opposed to these ridiculous side plots and twists. And he's an alcoholic and social worker who we obviously need to get to. And no, but I, I do have a scene. Did you mention all your scenes? Um, I mean, there's there's game seven, which is just like a given in every sports movie, the last game. But what what do you have? Oh, my favorite skin, the favorite scene. Can the best scene be the worst scene? Oh, yeah. OK, best scene, worst scene is they win the World Series. OK, now I've been to Qualcomm Stadium where this took place at the time. Jack Murphy Stadium, I guess it's a huge stadium. It was an old school for dual purpose football, baseball stadium. It's huge. They win the World Series. Everyone's on the field. Now, Gary Coleman at this point is probably about three feet tall, if. <laughs> and the two people Larry Cooper is able to spot in the stands is his son, who, again, is about three feet tall, and the social worker. And the, and the, and the whole movie, the social worker is going to take Jr. away. And basically, they come up with this idea that if Larry is somehow able to win game seven of the World Series, he'll be hired as a manager of the Padres, and he'll be able to keep his son. So all this happens. They win the World Series. Larry Cooper, the manager, looks up into the stands, <laughs> sees the social worker. And I just want to say, she is a white woman with brown hair. White people with brown hair is about 95% of a ballpark in the 1970s. And she gives him with her hand the OK sign. Now, <laughs> this had to be at least from, at bare minimum, because she didn't have a ticket for good seats, had to be at least a thousand yards away from where he was standing and somehow he sees that and knows everything is going to be okay let's talk about that plot the just that plot point like how they come up with that that if he if he gets this job you know he's oh does it mean because what how the social worker justifies it is oh it means he has a job and he can provide stable housing for for jr and that sort of thing so were they not paying jr during this this whole managerial run like was it legitimate slave labor because like in the the real world you know look into that who was getting the money for gary all of gary coleman's acting jobs gary coleman's parents they were probably living a very very nice life during his child actor run like we you can't be managing there's no way the child would be managing the padres and then living in a in a dumpy ass apartment with his dad and them not getting any money. So that's the biggest, that's the biggest plot hole there is like his, his father already has an income source is his son. Who's the manager of the Padres. We've already solved this. Like he doesn't need to go to foster care. I don't Emmett is, is that your favorite scene too? It is. But I think that you can even make that, that plot hole bigger with the fact that they were already financially stable. He had a job and they can afford to live in a hotel with solid food and solid living conditions. But then the social worker shows up and says, this is unacceptable. And then she 
she claims that this is not how people can live. This movie is really about a social worker with a vendetta. Yeah. She, yeah. she makes up and she makes up. She has this like confirmation bias that she just cannot get over about this kid is this kid is being misused. It's actually kind of it's kind of interesting because the one point she makes is like, oh, he's being overworked. An 11 year old shouldn't be doing this. And like, meanwhile, like that's exactly what's happening to Gary Coleman in real life. Like when you watch it with real life lens, it's kind of it's kind of sad. But uh, my my for me, the best scene is is when they name Larry Cooper the manager in the office because that is, I mean, that is incredible, incredible. When it when the best player on the team is like the only person who can save us is this fringe ball player to come be our manager for one game. Uh, absolutely, just just stunning and incredible. I I can't believe you guys made me watch this one. Let's take a quick ad break and get back with our best quote. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Best quote. Now, best quote with this one was tough for a couple reasons for me. One, I only saw it one time. Two, there was not closed captions. Three, there's no IMDb page, which has the quotes, which I will usually go after to, to get the exact wording. The one thing that I was able to remember off the top of my head and laugh is when the social worker is asking him something about names for something, and he says Ruth, and she was like, oh, like Babe Ruth? And Gary Coleman in that quick Gary Coleman wit, no, Ma Ruth, of course Babe Ruth. Gary Coleman, very good at being being sharp, sharp towards adults and like in like that little that little jab Emmett did you did you have a best quote in this movie uh I mean oh oh actually I do now that I think about it it's like it's it's a um it's throughout the movie but it's um it's I've I've done this many times with my father it's when the the father and son look at each other and one says un and the other says oh, beatable. Yeah. <laughs> my my brain just gets so happy whenever that happens. Is that you guys when like you're playing a pickup game of hoops? When I put Emmett, when I went to, Emmett went to bed last night, I swear to God, because I knew we were doing this today, I said un and he shook my hand and said beatable. So yeah. Jeff, did you have a best quote in this one? Yeah. I mean, this isn't an Aaron Sorkin movie. There's not really like a, a ton of great ones. I actually liked, I don't have the direct, direct, direct quote, but he walks, so Gary Coleman walks into the owners and the owner is played by Ed McMahon, who was Johnny Carson's sidekick for years, I just want to say. And the manager was played by Tab Hunter, who's this famous, famous actor back in the day and kind of like a hunky guy and all that. Um, he walked, Gary Coleman is in the office and Ed McMahon, the owner of the team, says to the manager, sign him up to be the bat boy. Like it's the manager's job. Like the manager doesn't have enough on his plate. He's now hiring bat boys. Which I got to say, having covered the majors for a bunch of years, I don't think I ever saw any manager responsible for hiring the team bat boys. So I thought that was no. no. Well, well, I want to stay with you then for the most authentic and least authentic parts of this movie. Okay. Um, as someone, you know, someone who covered baseball, could you, could you find a most authentic, at least baseball or sports centric part of this movie? The Padre uniforms, except for the fact that everyone wore a high number which is one of those things back in the day, I think they did for some legal right. Because everyone's wearing like number 76 or number 80. It was super weird. The Padre uniforms were legit. They actually had Padre uniforms. They looked like Padre uniforms. They seemed good. So that would be, that was authentic. Yeah, they have actually, the Padres have actually recently brought those back as great. an alternate. And it looks, they look great. That's just incredible uniforms, like the Tony Gwynn era. Uh, Emmett, did you have something in this in this movie, baseball-wise, that seemed really authentic to you? 
No. Yeah, <laughs> you can say not, no. nothing. I feel like everything else is not authentic. I have one thing kind of. And it's something that the movie didn't it didn't exactly nail this, but it's like they it's like they had the right idea. Like you know how like when a teacher gives you half credit when you try but you didn't really get the answer right is a lot of this when when they they start to get this momentum and they start to play well and they're talking about yeah you know JR you know we're all playing well cuz of JR and his tips and they're just like they're just feeling good and stuff like that Crash Davis and Bull Durham says it best if you believe you're playing well because you're getting laid or because you're not getting laid or because you wear women's underwear then you are and you should know that if you believe you're playing well because there's an 11 year old kid telling you to swing at pitches then that's why you're getting you know baseball's 90% mental like they had the right idea with you know this kid just you know bringing momentum to the team so i will give them authenticity points for that that's a that's a real thing and that's the thing that a manager can do the manager in baseball especially now when the front office is like throw this guy play these guys shift here shift there the manager in baseball is as much like it just a motivational factor as any like his job is managing personalities and making sure guys are comfortable and guys know their roles and stuff like that. Like much more than swing at the first pitch or lay down a bun or something like that. And that's where the least authentic, I mean, th- there's the laundry list of what the least authentic baseball thing in this, in, you know, in this movie is, but like, a manager can't really turn around a team this much. Like a manager coming into a team at midseason can't turn you from a bad team into World Series contenders. Like it doesn't matter if it's Gary Coleman, it doesn't matter if it's Joe Torre, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, anyone. It just it just can't happen. Can we also add that um he's giving everyone advice, all the characters advice, and he notices that one guy is really struggling to read and he says, "Have you thought about having glasses?" Like <laughs> You can't read a newspaper. You need glasses. It's not. And maybe that will affect your, your hitting, your ability to see a baseball coming at 95 miles per hour. It's a the number of things that are inauthentic. Uh, it, it's terribly painful. I will say that's the one hang up with major league in that they're like Rick Vaughn struggling to throw strikes because oh, yeah. he can't see very well. Right. Um, but it's, it's just done, done to more effect. Emmett, do you want to pick something from the laundry list of least authentic baseball parts about this movie? I mean, of course, baseball, there's a there's a ton. But I think like just, just the, the whole premise of the social worker is not authentic to real life. Like the, b- besides baseball, which is every baseball scene, you have the social worker who does not do her job. Everyone is telling her that this guy is fine. The, her co-worker is saying this kid has a normal life and she continues to pursue him in for, for no reason. It's like, she didn't have any other cases at all. Jeff, when you were growing up, how many, how many different social work, like cases would your mom have? From, oh, when I was growing from time up, my, time? my mom was a probation officer when I was a kid. And that's, oh, that I case. bet she's got some incredible stories. Oh yeah. And she would have, she used to have a lot of probationers at the same time, but I'm telling you, she, ne- she never like stalked them down. You know, she didn't go to their house and knock on the door. I actually think, it's almost like this movie was part baseball movie and part Terminator starring a social working 30 something year old social worker cyborg. I want to see what her expense account looks like because she went to multiple Padres games in, in this, in the name of her job. That's like, I've Jeff, I've heard your stories about like how, you know, how sports illustrated was very generous with, with what they allowed you guys to do as far as the company card. Like, this this social worker, she racked up those points on the company card. I would agree with that. I was going to say one more thing that's very inauthentic. So the star baseball player played by Gary Collins, well-known actor and you know since deceased, is Pete Sloan. Pete Sloan looks, I'm 49 years old. Pete Sloan looks less like a baseball player than I would if you put me in a baseball uniform right now. He could not look less like a baseball player. I will say... I will say I have this. Let's get into what worked. I have that exact thing actually under what worked because that's like, I don't know. When's the last time you went through your baseball cards from the 70s to the 80s? That's back in the era where every baseball player looked like they were 55 years old, like three times divorced uncle. (laughs) Well, the thing is, they didn't have any doubles for any of these guys. So like he was running and he was throwing and his swing was abysmal. Like his swing had more holes in it than any swing. I just... Sure, he looked physically like you could be a major league baseball player. I mean, there are a million of them, but 
he did not look he didn't have any of that none of those guys did any of this sort of thing of a ball player well that's the thing about this movie that's weird with the baseball action and Emmett tell me if you notice this but some of the baseball action like they they had stunt doubles or they they had random scenes whereas like there's one I specifically remember where was a first baseman kind of came off the bag to catch it it was a, it was a, I think it was oh, the yeah. bunt he came off the bag to catch it whips it home really quick it was like oh that was a dude who played baseball and then there's then there's scenes with a guy who like doesn't even know how to have the glove and like has his hands up looking for a fly ball. And it's like, it's kind of weird that half the baseball was really good and half the baseball was horrible. Yeah. I'm, and I mean, like at the beginning of the movie, you have to assume they're one of like the, the last place teams. Like you have to, that guy is like twirling around. He doesn't know where to catch the ball. You have to assume they're like one of the worst teams. And then they make, this massive comeback to first place. And it's like, there's no consistency in the baseball at all. And I guess you can try to excuse that with Gary Coleman's influence, but there's, there's really no reason that they should be that inconsistent with how they play. Yeah. Rookie of the year has that same problem. I don't know if you guys have watched rookie of the year together. Jeff, you're familiar rookie of the year. I don't know if we did. I Maybe has that same problem. It gives you no reason why that team should be any good. Right. Um, also, if you look closely in this movie, sometimes players have uniform have names on the back of their uniforms. Sometimes they don't. Um, some of the shots are clearly shot from some kind of game. I'm not sure what it was. They're playing the Cubs at some points, and the Cubs don't have the C on their helmets. At some point, base runners are wearing helmets. At some points, base runners don't have helmets. It's a lot of like, yeah, nobody's going to notice. It's TV. <laughs> it's... It's like, I mean, it, it really is like they got a, a big chunk of this movie done and, you know, especially the first half and they had their ducks in a row and then like someone hit the panic button. It was like, we got to finish this in 36 hours. Anything goes. Right. Um, Jeff, what about this one that we haven't discussed actually worked though? Like what, is there anything else that appeals to you? Like I love the kids coaching, coaching athletes or interacting with adult, adult athletes. I will sign up for that every time between this little big league uh, angels in the outfield in, in certain aspects of it. Like that's a plot that I feel like works very often. I don't think that much. I think what worked for this movie. I mean, just for me, it's not going to apply to you guys. Honest to God is just the nostalgia element of it. And I said at the beginning, like a Gary Coleman movie, Saturday night, eight o'clock NBC, maybe not. No, probably eight o'clock NBC. It was like a special thing for me. It really was. It was a special thing. And when I hear the opening music and I see the credits, it's nostalgia. The movie sucks. It's not a good movie. The baseball is terrible. Coleman is great. I mean, he's, he is what he is. He was a very good kid actor. Robert Guillaume is great. But to me, it's just the power of nostalgia. It's not, there's nothing else with this movie that's really amazing to me. That's very fair. Emmett, when throughout this whole movie, we're kind of wondering, because Coop, the, the dad is very bitter towards Pete. We don't really know why. We, we get hinted at that something had oh. happened. What what did you think that was? Like, did you have any were you did you have any guesses as to what that was versus what it actually ended up being? I mean, I feel like because I knew this movie was not good, I could guess it, you know, like I did not guess it. I thought it was just going to be like he took my spot or he, you know, he cheated me or something like that. Like, no, he did a thing that almost murdered him. Which is very, very, very bad. Yeah. I mean, it all seems in the realm of, of these movies. Anything that would just move the plot forward or, or try to add as little tension as there is. Another thing about this movie, there is no tension. There is no point in this movie where you are thinking, uh-oh, what's going to happen? There, there's, I mean, I guess the social worker is the closest thing to it, but there is nothing. It tries to make tension though with that classic, like made-for-TV movie kind of trumpet sound. That it goes for the it goes for the tension music. But the, I honestly I have this in all caps in my notes. Like the thing that Pete did to Larry being, uh, you know, for folks who haven't watched it, um, they called a I guess a suicide squeeze or, or I guess I guess Coop was just stealing home, and Pete saw the sign but still hit a line drive that hit him in the head like. I mean, that's that's attempted murder. I mean, that's that's awful. And it's interesting that Coop did nothing like Jeff, you covered baseball when Albert Bell was around. Yeah. If someone had done that to Albert Bell, what does that look like? 
No, it's not pretty. I mean, Albert Bell was terrifying. <laughs> I actually thought I'm glad you brought this up because I think one of the real flaws, at least in the plot. Okay. In a normal movie where it's well thought out and they have some time and it's well written, the whole thing. Let's say this is it. it uh, Larry Cooper is angry at Pete Sloan because years ago, Cooper was trying to steal home and Pete Sloan swung when he wasn't supposed to swing and the ball cracked him in the head and ruined his career, right? You have that as a device. That is a, it's actually not a bad device. It's not a bad scenario where you could be like, this happened. But then somewhere in the movie, you need to have Pete Sloan either. I was an alcoholic at the time and I was out of my head and I was drunk and I just missed a sign. Pete Sloan saying, um, well, you know, you did this to me back then and that was me getting revenge. Or the, the most logical one saying, no, you misunderstand. That's not what happened. And they come to, and, and all of a sudden Larry Cooper's like, oh, I never realized that before. I owe you an apology. And it's, and Larry, and the Pete Sloan then says, no, man, it's okay, blah, blah, blah. We're together now. And that's a good device. But it's basically like, I tried killing you. Well, I don't like you. We just won the World Series. All right. Like, that's how it went. The whole thing with that, Pete trying to murder him. Pete essentially says tough shit. Yeah. Like <laughs> it is what it is. I did it. It's a real, real failure of this one. That's like, this happens with, with sports movies a lot where it's like, they're, they're close. Like they have, it's like, you know, they have the structure for the house. They just don't build the house. Right. Like they just don't fill it in properly. It's like the, you know, the manager's a kid thing. That's a, that's a fun plot. You just didn't, you just didn't execute. You have this good plot device with, Pete almost killing Coop. You just didn't do it right. It's just, it just missteps. And that's, you know, again, there, I mean, this movie was to make Gary Coleman more famous. It wasn't to be the best baseball movie ever, but that is. Also, that wait, is very... can we just, Kyle, can we mention also the fact? So Larry Cooper, Emma knows this really pissed me off. Larry Cooper takes over as a manager. So, all right, we got Cooper. This is it. Big game, game seven. What's his big move? He benches his best player because he has benches his best player. And then, so they barely win when at the end he decides to have him hit and he hits home run. And Emmett said to me, well, he made the right move. For all we know, Pete Sloan goes three for five with two home runs and a double on this game and they're winning going away. Did you guys notice that when it's it's the time when he calls for him to, to pinch hit in the bottom of the ninth, the play-by-play guy says it before we get the actual dialogue of him telling Pete that he wants to hit. It's like the play-by-play guy is reading his mind. What about the... Right, wait, one more thing. What about also he, uh, he takes the first two pitches in that big at-bat, which is exactly what Gary Coleman told him not to do. Yeah, it's, it's, not, a, it's, not, a, it's the opposite of a callback, really. <laughs> Like there's, there's one line in just stuff that didn't work. Gary Coleman utters something that offended me so deeply. And he said, anybody can flop a chop referring to a pork chop. He said, anybody can flop a chop on a grill. Gary, I respectfully disagree as, as a, like as a grilling dad as someone who loves my smoker, like a second child. That's not, that's not the case. Pork grilling, grilling in general, but grilling pork, fine art. Okay, so not anybody, not anybody can just make a perfect pork chop. I'm, I'm sorry, I missed the context of that line. What? When did he? What? They're grocery shopping and they're going over they're they're going over their food. And I think one, I think Cooper or Jr. is a vegetarian. I can't, I can't remember. They both correctly, are, but aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and they're talking about something about pork chops. And oh, Gary no, says I anybody. Just, I thought they were just saying because they couldn't afford meat. That might have been it. That, that I think you're actually probably right with that one. Yeah. But but Jr. says you know anybody can flop a chop on a grill, and that's just not the case. It's 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 not the case. I'm not going to stand for the slander of the art of grilling. Um, it's just I want I wanted to make that known here on 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 this here podcast. Um, the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. This isn't a movie that that really highlights its supporting cast. This was not. This isn't one of those those. Uh, you know, broad group where there's a lot of great character actors doing good work here. A lot of people showed up and getting paychecks. There's really two people who who make their presence known. There's there's Gary Collins as Pete Sloan, who Jeff, you might know this. Do you know what he what he his next career move was after this a few years later? I don't. I probably should. What do you do? Arguably the best run of anyone after this movie. He was the host of the Miss America pageant for eight years oh, from eighty two to ninety. There you go. Probably a great gig. Yeah. Um and then Trisha O'Neill is Marion Fowler, the uh, the social worker. This is what I hinted at earlier. She's in a completely different movie. 
like complete she thinks this is a very oh, serious yeah. movie about a social worker like saving potentially saving ch- a child she's taking this so much more seriously than everyone else they're like wait they're like we have a great role for you it's a it's a dark social worker who's looking out for justice and she's blah 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 and she's like this is great and then she shows up on the first day and she sees gary coleman waiting for her this whole movie she doesn't realize she's supposed to be in the wrong she's just playing the part like she's supposed to be morally correct yeah it's a it's a tough look for her really um you know we were talking before we recorded didn't really do a whole lot else after this like you know kind of worked steadily one of those but you know book some gigs she was I, i think she's passed away since but she's I always say this with with actors who, you know, appeared in decent stuff and had some sort of notoriety or some sort of fame. Like, I, I just hope they lived in a nice house because it's the thing about fame. And like what the unfortunate thing we found out with Gary Coleman, like the level of fame doesn't pay bills like someone who has a one hit wonder or someone who does has a good run on a TV show earlier in their life, but can't extend that out like you can, you know, everyone in the world can know who Gary Coleman is, but he could be struggling to uh, to, to rent an apartment. So that's kind of the sad thing about watching a child actor, or anyone who, um, you know, in, in that kind of regard. So as far as like best supporting character, like Emmett, did you have anyone in this movie that you could really point to besides Gary Coleman and be like, yeah, I really enjoyed them? I mean, yeah, I kind of like the owner. I mean, <laughs> he plays the typical like I'm an old owner role, but he did all right at it. I mean, you could say Jeff and, and you know, you, you reported on baseball. I mean, very authentic thing. Owner just trying to make a buck off this team and, and doesn't really care otherwise. Yeah. You know, I was okay with, um, I actually thought tab Hunter as the manager looked like a manager. Now that's it. He just in his uniform. He looked like, he looked like he could be a seventies manager. You know, he's, 45 years old, had a long playing career. Now he's managing. He looked kind of like a younger Earl Weaver. Yeah. Like, so he looked like a manager. I'm not, he wasn't good in the movie, but he looked like a manager. I mean, if, if this, in a movie like this, like if you just look the part, like we'll, You're we'll good. call that a win. You're good. Call that a win. I, I think this is fair to say no big chill moment in this movie. Correct. Yeah. I, I feel like it treads very carefully between like, obviously good chill like a like a a very powerful moment and um and like cringing chill which it just doesn't hit either it's just kind of like a flat line of a movie no when they when they pick him up at the end you just don't care yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah you just you just don't care at all wait kyle Um, i mentioned one thing yeah what about the fact that this 11 year old kid managed the padres he managed the padres so that's a national, if not international, story back then. 11-year-old kid managing, it's huge. Look at this, the tickets, and we're winning. Then he gets, he gets left at the Browns' house because, you know, he's in foster care now. So he's at the Browns' house. And he decides he's going to the game, and he's running through the streets of San Diego to get to the ballpark, and no one recognizes him. <laughs> like even the guy in the bus is like, nope, you need, what is he, like you need exact change or you need a certain amount, like something like that. Like I'm just saying like, Pick, pick your most obscure manager in the major. Take David Bell of the Cincinnati Reds. If David Bell is running through the streets of Cincinnati, and David Bell is probably a 53-year-old adult running through the streets of Cincinnati, the vast majority of people, at least 50%, are going to know that's David Bell. Now you have an elfin 11-year-old kid who managed the Padres, is the youngest manager in history, and has him in the World Series, and nobody knows who he is. I mean, can you imagine just what the newspaper story is like when the the 11-year-old sensation Padres, because that's one thing Little Big League gets right is how yeah. big a story Billy Haywood is. And, like, you know, they they do. He has an interview with Chris Berman, and he's on SportsCenter and all that stuff. Like With this, it's like 11-year-old manager of the Padres. He's probably one of the most famous people in America at that point. Like, that's not that's not outlandish to say. Like, he really might have been. And he gets put in foster care, and, and no one hears. Like, that would be a massive story. There would be so much press in San Diego. I agree. Hundred percent. How would you guys improve this movie, Emmett? I'll start with you. If you if you got to go through a laundry list of things, how would you make this a better movie? Impossible. <laughs> I'm I'm just kidding. No, there's um, I think definitely like add a little tension. Like there's there's no reason to care about anybody. There's I mean it's like even when the point where like you're supposed to feel like you lost like where he actually got put in a foster home. 
nothing changed. You know, he went to the, the foster home for like two seconds and then he's back at the, the park. Like there's no reason to care about anything in the movie because there's no, there's no punishment if it doesn't go right. Jeff, is this movie better if we actually get 20, 30 minutes of him managing the Padres? Or would they have just fumbled that so badly that it wouldn't have been any better? No, they would have screwed it up. I think this movie is a million times better if you don't have the social worker at all. Why can't he just be a poor guy, former Padre player, and whatever, some way or another, he's giving his son baseball tips, and his son, maybe the son is being interviewed on TV, and the Padres see him, and they're like, this be a good gimmick, and then they start winning. Like, why do we need the social worker? And also, why is a dad an alcoholic? And like, why don't we know he's an alcoholic? Like, they're a little, I find that all very weird. So I think no social worker, no alcoholism, this is a... This is an Academy Award winning movie. So I'll, I'll leave it with you, our last category, before more or restore or prequel, sequel or remake. I mean, we've Little Big League is like, let's take this and make it a lot better. So that's kind of like a remake. Would you like to see this this attempted one more time? I think there's no reason a sequel should ever happen. There's no <laughs> plot to ever make of that. You, I, I mean, if I were making one, I'd probably have like, Gary Coleman become a player or something. I mean, there's like, there's really not a lot to do. Uh, a prequel, I guess you could have the Larry Cooper playing, although they kind of tell you what happens. And then a remake, I think, would, I don't actually think any of them would be good. I think a remake wouldn't keep the same kind of goofiness that it had, and then it wouldn't be as fun to watch. So I don't think it needs anything more. Jeff? This is so obvious. You got to have a prequel and you call it, you give Larry Cooper a name, like his nickname was the Rusty Spoon, right? So the name of the movie is the Rusty Spoon or Rusty Spoon. And it opens with him. He's playing in segregated South minor league baseball and he's getting heckled, but he's a really good hitter and he works his way up. And somewhere along the way, he has this kid and the wife dies in labor and he raises a kid while rising up to the minor leagues and he meets the majors and he's having this dream run. And um, and then he has the awful. Oh, and the other guy, Sloan, is like this kid from like Beverly Hills who's had everything handed to him. He played baseball at UCLA. He's a pretty boy. And they come together and they think they get along. And then this play happens and it ruins Cooper's life. But interestingly, it also ruins Sloan's life because he's devastated. And he's the one who starts drinking and a social worker chases him. So you're making a creative joke there. But if you had been around in like in, in in Hollywood in the 1980s and you somehow like wandered into a room with Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson that looked like, you know, Al Pacino's office in Scarface yeah. and floated that out. Someone would be like, that's it. That's it. That's our ne- that's, that's our next weird. baseball movie. We're in. Yeah. <laughs> that's I mean that's that's all you needed in the cocaine 80s you just needed a, a far-fetched pitch and you needed someone who had been up for 48 hours to be like yeah yeah let's let's get some money let's make that happen my I guess kind of remake or, or reimagining so we've had we've had kid as manager in this and then in the 90s we got little big league kid as manager except better we got rookie of the year kid as as player we need kid as GM because baseball GM's getting younger and younger. Theo Epstein was, I think, what he was in his twenties when he took over the Red Sox job. Yeah. Now we need we need eleven year old. We need we need a kid who's just like he's a member of Mensa. You know, uh, um, a major Billy Bean is trying to get an extra. Like he's like, we got to figure out a different way to win here in Oakland. We've got a, a wonderkind. Wait, we need to say something, Emmett. Do you know what Mensa is? It's a club for people with genius IQs. Oh yeah, I do know what that is. Emmett, and why do we bring that up, Emmett? I don't know. What Gary Coleman movie is that lead into? Oh, my favorite one. The Kid with the 200 IQ. I highly recommend that movie <laughs> if you have any um, any urge to see a little more of Gary Coleman. It's, yep. um, and there's a little bit of sports in it if you really want that. It's, yep. uh, he's just a, a really smart kid, and he still plays the role of an 11-year-old, and he goes to college. And he just lives in dorms with other college students, like a like a like a eighteen to twenty year old, but he's eleven. And it's it's there's like there's like love scenes and 
sports. It has everything I would want from a movie. And also, Kyle, it's available on YouTube as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I, I've got some got some work to do tonight. Then I've, I've got something. I'm gonna have to stop uh, binging Shit's Creek instead. I need to. What do you think happens if I walk upstairs after we've finished recording this and I tell my wife, you know what? I don't want to watch Shit's Creek. I want to watch a Gary Coleman movie on YouTube. How old is your wife? Thrilled. My my wife is 29. She'd be confused. But you need to watch the one you need to watch is a kid with a broken halo because there's a lot of sports in that, including a lot of old Cleveland Brown clips that are changed to a different a different team, you know. But you see all these old familiar Browns players. So it's That's a true. another sports classic. But but I I still think 200 IQ is better. Well, I I appreciate you guys opening my eyes to the world of of Gary Coleman made for TV movies that are on YouTube. It is always a pleasure when you guys join me on Big Screen Sports. Emmett, thank you. Jeff, thank you. Uh, where can the folks follow you and check out uh, your podcast? Uh, my podcast is available everywhere. And I just started a new journalism Substack that I do every week. On, uh... Oh, yes. The the Yang Slinger. Yeah, everyone subscribe to that. It's Even if you don't write, like it's really, really entertaining. Oh. Yeah, big, big fan of the newsletter. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate, and leave a review. We come at you every Monday. Next Monday, we've got a heater it is Hot Rod, me and Alex McDaniel finally getting down to it, talking about Andy Samberg just breaking his body a million times in that movie. If you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm. That is presented by Baseball America. A lot of great episodes there. And thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.